2: welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 335. Hello, hello
1: to everybody. I am very excited for this episode. It is an odd-numbered show. We have some guests on the show, but we don't have an odd number of people. We have an even number of people because we, as the Family Gamers, have another family on the Family Gamers Podcast. And that's awesome. Tonight on the show, we have Mark and Janelle McGee. We met them at Tantrum Con. They have made this game called tether which is amazing it's probably more amazing than the name of their company which is how to steam broccoli but only by a little bit because well we'll talk about that second half of the show hey guys how are you
0: hey
3: hey thanks for having us (laughs) yeah
1: so i got a chance to play tether at tantrum con i instantly backed it on kickstarter i don't really do that anymore but i did for this one basically because Elliot sat down and played it with me and he was like this game is great and I was like yeah this game is really great so um the fact that my eight-year-old sat down and played and we both had fun is an automatic double thumbs up and I really want to talk about this game at length but we're gonna talk about that second half of the show we're gonna start by saying hello everybody we are the family gamers as always I am your host Andrew we've introduced our guests before ourselves (laughs) and I'm joined by my lovely wonderful wife Nitra
2: that's me (laughs) <laughs> all right and you have a fact
1: i do okay so here's the deal so the one thing i will say about tether is that tether is a space themed game correct
0: mm-hmm. okay that's right
1: at least by art standards it is a space themed game and by concept so i wanted to come up with a space themed fact for episode 335 and i will warn everybody that I started going down the Wikipedia hole. Like, Uh I found the fact and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And then I clicked on another thing and I clicked on another thing. I pulled myself out. I'm here. I'm alive. We're good. And the fact is not deep in the Wikipedia hole, but I certainly went down it after getting this fact.
2: I have a quick side note for you. It was very cute to me that our teenage daughter tried to describe the idea of going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. To me, as if I didn't know what it was the other day,
1: (laughs) it was amazing. That's fantastic. And you were like, oh, oh, you're going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. She's like, oh, uh, yes. Yeah, mom. Okay, fine. You're cooler than I want to admit. Okay. All right. So here we go. It requires a little bit of explanation. In my research, I stumbled across the STS-335. Does anybody know what the STS-335 is?
2: Not a clue. I'm assuming it's something with space.
1: That you are very <laughs> astute, Anitra. <laughs> so STS stands for Space Transport System. During the space shuttle program, every flight had a number. The main flight started with the number one. The last scheduled flight or the last scheduled mission was the STS-134. But anytime they had one of these missions, they also had a backup mission, a LON or launch on need mission. If there was a problem, they had to go, like, rescue the astronauts or something. They always had a secondary one. So, like, if you ever looked at, like, a picture of the space shuttle when it was getting ready to launch, there was always a second one on a pad. I don't know, half a mile away or whatever, but you could always see it in the pictures. Well, the last scheduled mission of the space shuttle was the STS-134, and its LON mission, its emergency mission was what? STS-335. Oh, cool. Yep.
0: You know what? When you asked if I knew about the STS, that's exactly what I was about to guess. But it was just a wild guess. You know, i never, never actually Well, now you know. Now it's before. not a guess. Yeah.
1: It's like uh, now you've, you've forgotten that you need to push the red button to answer the question, but you know the answer to the question.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah. it takes up space in your brain. So anyway, so the STS 134 was the space shuttle Endeavour, but the STS 335 the LON mission, was the space shuttle Atlantis. The fun thing about this, I mean, that's already kind of cool. The STS-335, because it was prepped and ready on the landing pad, was actually converted into the very last space shuttle mission ever, which was the STS-135. So okay, you can kind of say that the space shuttle that was prepared for STS-335, our episode number, was the last space shuttle to ever fly into space.
2: Oh, that's cool, but also kind of sad. Yep.
1: And that's my fact about our episode number three thirty five. All right. Is that how is that? I mean, I feel like that's better than like some random sports fact or something. Uh, yes, okay. definitely. All right, good. Sometimes I get desperate, and I didn't even have to go to the Guinness Book of World Records for this one. So
0: yeah, I thought maybe you would go something like the, the three thirty five zone defense for for certain sports or something like that.
2: <laughs> some <laughs> I mean, some baseball player pe- who batted three thirty. Yeah, five. people
1: complain when I do sports stuff. So sports stuff comes up a lot and also like gun stuff because there's a lot of gun models that in this kind of 230 something to 330 something range. I don't know, man. Um, Hopefully I'm I'm working my way out of that. The BMW 335 came up a lot. That was a really difficult thing to get out of my Google searches, but I ended up on something I was happy with. Anyway.
2: Good job. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Just a note from
2: our sponsor. Have you ever heard the term? It takes money to make money. Well, it's not the only way to make money, but it is a true statement. Income, however it looks, is like an engine. It can start slow, but as you build your resource pool, it often becomes easier to make more. If this sounds a little bit like the last time you played Wingspan or Terraforming Mars, it's because there's a lot of similarities between engine building in board games and financial engine building in real life. If you need help figuring out how to get that engine started, First Move Financial might be able to help. Head over to Firstmove Financial.com slash family gamers and see how First Move Financial can kickstart your financial engine today.
1: Thanks so much to the team over at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the show. It's sponsors like First Move, by the way, that make it possible for us to go to places like Tantrum Con where we get to meet awesome people like Mark and Janelle. Mm-hmm. So it all mm-hmm. comes first circle. So here we are. All comes around. All right, at this point in the show, it's time to talk about some games that we have been playing. I've got some games that I've never played before on this week's show, but we're going to start with our guests. What have you guys been playing?
0: I, You're talking about a, a space theme fact. Well, the first game that I would like to talk about is a space-themed game. It's what I recently got. I backed it on Kickstarter however long ago, but it came in. Station Fall by Ion Games is a big, complicated game. Space drama disaster film <laughs> of okay. sorts. And eight, there's, there's a bunch of different characters and each player is a character, but who you are is a secret and you can reveal it later on during the game. But you can move any character on the ship and you're trying to accomplish your agenda while trying to thwart other people's agenda. And over the course of the game, all sorts of chaos happens. When we played it last time, There's an antimatter core that if you move it out of uh, the room where it's housed, it it triggers for detonation. And if you don't get it out of the ship, then it'll blow up the ship. If you do get out of the ship, it'll blow up everything outside of the ship. That sort of thing always uh, causes chaos. There's a top secret project that if you choose to unlock the Project X room, it could be any disaster that awaits you behind those doors. There's a giant alien that kind of runs around and destroys people. There's, There's a death ray. There's all sorts of stuff.
2: Wow. So, yeah, there are it, lots of ways to die in space.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it, it's fascinating. It's probably one of the most complex games that I play. I tend to play lighter fare than than uh, any, really any Iron Games game. But, but this one is really interesting, and it, it's been a lot of fun.
1: So who do you play that with?
0: We have two regularly scheduled game days. One of them is Friday nights. It's every fourth Friday night, but interspersed between those Friday nights, but two weeks offset on Saturdays is another game day. So we have a Friday and then two weeks later, it's on Saturday, two weeks later, it's on a Friday, two weeks later, it's on a Saturday, et cetera. Usually the Saturdays, there's families there. There's a bunch of kids there. So we play easier, lighter games. that can be interrupted by screaming children and pizza and stuff. And then on Fridays, (laughs) that's in the evening where some of the, the people who are more interested in the heads down, it might take us a couple hours to get through this sort of games. Mm-hmm. And those Friday nights, that's the time for Station Fall. <laughs> it's not a um, screaming kids and pizza game. Sure. <laughs> so, Janelle, do you play? Are you a Station Fall
1: fan?
3: I don't usually do the uh, heads down because I have to take care of the pizza and the screaming kids. So I've been playing pizza interrupting screaming kid games, but not just because of the pizza and the screaming kids. But our oldest that you met at Tantrum Con, she played games on her own for the first time, like not being introduced Mm -hmm, by mm -hmm. us and us telling her. Mm -hmm. So she's been bringing those to me. And that's been fun. Oh, that's So rewarding. she's brought yeah. Finger Guns at High Noon and Bonanza. <laughs> and we've already read rules to some of the other ones that she brought. So I've been just playing games through her, which is nice. very different. We yes. usually bring the games to them. So that's been fun. So I've been yeah. playing the Pizza and Screaming Kids
1: game. <laughs> pizza fun. and the Screaming Kids game. That's a game I think everybody uh, on this call has played in the past But it is really neat to watch the thrill of exploration and discovery through your kids instead of kind of pushing it on them, right? Like to watch them kind of organically discover the stuff and and have them say, oh, this is really cool. And you're like, I know.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I've just kind of been in her zone, whatever Mm -hmm. she's been bringing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. At Tantrum Con, she had played in a couple of the tournaments of games that she had never played before. And actually, she made it to the final table on both finger guns at high noon.
3: Uh, I think she made it. Almost to the last table on Bonanza, but not quite the last table. But she's, I mean...
0: But she did learn and play Bonanza yeah. and participate in the her. tournament. Yeah, maybe yeah. she didn't make it to the nice. final table, but... it's awesome. Yeah.
3: So it's like her game that <laughs> she's <Yes>. bringing to <laughs> yep. us, which is yeah, really we, cool.
0: We have like the
1: kids game shelf, mm-hmm. but like some of the games that are on the kids game shelf are... They're not... like.
2: Kids yeah, they're games, not kid games. Like, all of our
1: Unmatched is on the kids' game shelf. Our copy of Baron Park is on the kids' game shelf. Our, all of our Dice Throne, the games that the kids have decided, these are the games we like to play. So it's not necessarily <laughs> kids' games
2: Yeah, that are on the shelf, but
1: whatever. The kind
2: of games that our kids will be like, can we play that? Can right. we play that again? Yeah. I want to play that. I want to play that, and I don't even care if parents play it with me. All of these are games that our kids would pull out and play with each other at this point, which... Is usually rewarding, except for when it winds up in arguments, which <laughs>
3: is less often. Yeah, it's great when they play together until it's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much.
1: You know. You know so well. I, this is why we click.
3: <laughs> it's like um, you're just, speaking my language. <laughs> yeah, right,
1: right. So just to kind of bring it all the way around. So Ion, who published Stationfall, was founded by John Manker, who we had on the show. Mm-hmm. And he partners with Matt Eklund a lot, who is the one who designed Stationfall. So. Yep. We had John on, I think, probably uh, around a year ago at this point. We're talking about Pax Viking and Vendel to Viking. Something like that, yeah. But yeah, just to kind of, you know, bring it around. So if you're curious of the way the mind of Ion Games kind of works, you could always check out that episode of the show.
2: Uh, and I will uh, link to it in the show notes, but I yes. don't have the episode number in front of me. Oh, right I have now. no idea. If I had the episode
1: number, I would know how long ago it was. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. So, Janelle, do you, is, is that your game, Pizza and Screaming Children? <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's my game. All right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the Finger Guns at High Noon and Bonanza, I've been playing most recently.
1: Nice. Yeah. Nice. Do you want to go next?
2: Sure. Well, I will say a, a game that we just played this week, but is definitely the kind of game you can play with. Screaming children running around is her story. So I saw this being played at Tantrum Con and I was really pleasantly surprised. It's not like a light, fluffy game the way it feels, but the turns are super fast and the symbology is really, really clear. And so it's that kind of game. Like it takes a little while to play, but your turn is going to keep coming around like every 30 seconds, you know, to a minute. It's not a sit around, wait plan out this big, expansive turn where I do this, and then I do this, and then I do this. You're only ever doing one thing, and it keeps the choices limited enough that it worked really well. We actually played it with our teenager and with Elliot, the eight-year-old. Elliot was really resistant at first. Oh my goodness. (laughs) But
1: I think he liked it by the end.
2: Once he started playing it, he was super into it and reading all of the biographies of all of the historical figures that ended up on his board, and he, he really liked it.
1: Okay, so let's kind of explain this game, sure. Just just a little bit. So the premise of the game is that you're building a, a like a historical book with women from history that have done notable, remarkable things. And what you draft these tiles that kind of come out of a bag and they go on this little display. You draft the tiles. Tiles have icons. Yeah, you that's your the research. Correct amount of icons to to pay to draft uh, one of these cards into your book and you have eight chapters one chapter for each woman that you draft and you know once somebody drafts their eighth then you know everybody gets their last turn you know that kind of normal normal stuff but that's pretty much the game it's very straightforward you either take a tile or you reserve one of these cards or you pay some of these tokens to put a card into your book into your book uh, and that's there definitely were um mitt romney jokes about you know, books full of women. Binders right? full yes. of women. Binders of women. <laughs> Binders. Yeah. And the
2: two kids just stared at us like, what are you talking about? Why are you about?
1: two laughing so hard? But one thing that we did was when anybody put a card into their book, we had them turn the card over and read out loud the biography, the, the story, yeah. her story and what she did. And so it was a really neat thing because some of them I knew and, and most of them Anitra knew. But I think all four of the people that were at the table learned something. Oh uh, yeah, and that was really cool. It was it's not required at all that you do that when you play. I mean, you know, whatever, uh, you, whatever you want. Yeah. But I think it was a really cool way to really embrace the reason why this game was created.
2: I learned about the Chinese woman who was a pirate and Actually, probably the most successful pirate she was, in world history. Like,
1: terrifying. She was a pirate who, like, commanded 80,000 pirates or something <laughs> like that. Or was it 80,000 pirates or 80,000 boats?
2: It, it was, was 80,000 pirates yeah, and, it like, thousand ships. Yeah, it was like it was ridiculous. ridiculous.
3: Yeah, yeah she's nuts. hardcore, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what's really important is March is Women's History Month. So if you go to underdoggames.com, And you click on the link right on the homepage, you can actually buy her story, which is like a sixty dollar game for nineteen dollars and nineteen cents. They will like automatically give you an Amazon code. So it's free shipping because you're buying it on Amazon and you're getting a copy of the game for under $20, which is an amazing deal. The component quality alone on this celebrating
2: the I mean Women's History Month and the Nineteenth Amendment, which passed in nineteen nineteen. Look at how that works. Definitely
1: out. recommend it to anyone who thinks that women's history is important. That should be all of you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I would hope so. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it was really good. It was it was very very good. The next game on the list. This is for me is a game that I played from a company called Helvetic. They don't have a huge presence in the United States. They are around. They make a lot of the small box games like Oink Games, like Deep Sea Adventure or Scout or uh, um, fake artist goes to New yeah, York. Yeah, fake artist goes yeah. to New York. That really so, small almost like business card size box that yeah. Oink Games is, a lot of what Helvetic does are games like that. We talked same about form Papagano yeah. on the show and that would be another one of these small box games. But the game that that I played from Helvetic w- is not a small box game. It's, <laughs> it's pretty much a normal size box. Maybe not like the larger like Days of Wonder Small-ish. size box, but it's a it's a you know normal like Splendor size box. And this is a game called Save Patient 0. Have any of you ever heard of this game?
2: I mean, I have, but I don't count. I have not.
1: That's okay. That's okay. So Save Patient Zero, I liked the game. (laughs) I love Turing Machine, and each and I both love Turing Machine. Save Patient Zero reminds me a lot of Turing Machine in concept. So what has happened is that Patient Zero, they were infected with this deadly virus, but they're Patient Zero. They're like the first one. So you're trying to cure them or whatever. Like, that's the premise of the game. And everybody gets a tear-off pad sheet, and there's these 25 like virus blobs on it. And three of them, there's a deck of the same 25 cards, you draw three of them, and those three virus molecules are the ones that you're trying to discern by performing logic tests on your grid. So you might do something, and the third-party arbiter or whatever will say, like, oh, you got one of three, and so you kind of have to like take some notes and be like, okay, one of these... I selected these six and like one of the three molecules is one of these six. So there's like all these different kinds of tests that you can perform against your grid of molecules to try to figure out which ones they are. In the standard game, you have to have a neutral third party. So the game is designed for like two to seven players or something like that because there's variants for lower player counts. But then you always have one person who's just like sitting there twiddling their thumbs like, what are you going to guess? Because I know the answers. And I guess like if you really like being a DM and you just like lording over other people that you know something they don't, you would enjoy that role. But I feel like that would be so profoundly boring. I don't know why you would ever <laughs> want to do that. So there's a variant to this game where you take this deck of 25 cards and you have these two teams. It's it's basically always two teams. Each team draws three separate ones. and so. If Team Red does like a logic test, it's against the three cards that Team Blue has drawn. And if Team Blue does a logic test, it's against the three cards that Team Red has drawn. And I feel like that's a way better way to play this game. Like this whole neutral third party thing is just terrible. Like I I, yeah. I really don't like it. <laughs>
0: that variant the you just mentioned sounds like how, uh, what was it, Decrypto does it?
1: Yeah, kind of. I don't feel like the tension ratchets up in any meaningful way if you're both trying to find the same three molecules. Like who cares? You know what I mean?
4: Hmm.
1: I don't know. There's also some printing issues with the game. Like, so they're numbered one to twenty five, but like some of the pictures don't line up with the right numbers on some of the cards. Like the printout is different from the card.
0: That's bad. That's
1: bad. That's really bad. Oh, that's really bad. Yeah. So I what I basically need to do now is sit down and like tear all of the components apart and like fix them somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little worried about that. The idea of the game is sound and it's a cool concept. And I love the deduction thing and the different kind of tools that they give you to try to figure this stuff out. But there's just some like the game needed another round of editing and polish to be what I would consider a releasable game. Like, I think that like it literally it feels like a beta game right now, which is a little unfortunate. Mm. So I'll have a more kind of concrete picture of how much is wrong with it after I have the time to do that. But I ain't got no time right now because work is nuts. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that's my first game, Save Patient Zero.
0: Man, it's fascinating how many rounds of polish and just fine-tuning it takes to get a game that's even, like, decent you know, <laughs> to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much you may have been involved in, like, creating games from nothing or from a- an idea to... Getting from there all the way to a game that's published. And then on top of that, making it like one of the better published games. Right. There's so many things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Maybe it's that'll hard come up a little bit later right? in the conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard. And, and I mean, truthfully, like, that was one of the things I was thinking about while playing Tether. I was like, this is on Kickstarter. This is done. This is great. The art is... Anyway, I don't want to talk about that. This. All right, this we'll get to that later. We'll talk about that later. All right, we'll put a uh, pin in it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it's especially hard when you have to have like different things that have to match. Like the pad has to, the numbers and the pictures have to line up with the cards. And like, and so if anything gets adjusted, you have to go back through everything again. And so I understand how it can happen. It's just a little unfortunate.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it also didn't start as a game in English. So like some of the names of the tools, like they didn't bother translating them because I mean, it doesn't matter. They can have garbage (laughs) names. Like if you've ever played Space Team, none of those tools have real (laughs) names. Like it doesn't really make a difference, (laughs) but it just given some of the other jank, it's a little more obvious.
2: It's an extra layer of difficulty where there doesn't need to be a layer of difficulty. Yeah. There's also a helper
1: app that was not at all helpful. <laughs> like if they made <laughs> the helper app good. better so that the helper app was somehow adjudicating the logic puzzles, then I think you're on to something. Mm, but really. again, just needed a little bit more. We
0: money. got to download the bonus player aid to assist with the helper app so then it can function. <laughs> the, uh, actually, yeah. The game. yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. Mark, back to you. What else have you been playing?
0: All right. In a similar vein as the long and complex Stationfall, I also have been enjoying Challengers, which is not actually long and complex. It's a game by Z-Man Games. It's a deck building game, but a very streamlined version of it where you gradually build your deck like you have everybody starts with the same starter cards and then what you do is It's a tournament style. So you can play up to eight players, and it tells you who your opponent is each of the different rounds. You play like a quick five-minute game against whatever your opponent is for that round using your starter deck, plus uh, you get to select a few cards from one of the draw piles. And then the winner of that gets some points. Then everybody gets to draw some new cards to add to their deck, and you get a different opponent. And so over the course of a handful of rounds, I can't remember how many rounds there were, maybe like six rounds you end up playing against almost everybody and your deck gradually grows and improves and you start making combos until eventually at the end of the regular number of rounds you see who the top two scoring players are and they just play a quick five minute finals for the championship it's an entire tournament that takes place in a pretty limited amount of time maybe like half an hour or maybe 45 minutes with hmm. some very streamlined quick deck building and they're uh the decks, it's it's based on auto-battlers, which is a, a genre of computer game where you kind of set up your army and click go. And they walk out there with very rudimentary AI and fight the opponent. And oh, that was okay. kind of the yeah. framework to how they wanted the battle part of it to go. So the core of the game is really choosing which cards you put in your deck. And the battle is largely you draw a card and you play it. There might be a small decision in there, like after you play it, based on the effect of the card but it's really the deck creation where the meat of the game is. But because of that, it's really fun in my experience to like, see what combos you can build using the cards that you draw between rounds and then um, you know hoping that your combo plays out the way you want it to during the rounds and then putting it through its paces against all the different opponents as you play. I just like the idea of having a full, quick tournament experience in 45 minutes. So I really enjoy it. And we played it with our kids, our two oldest kids who uh, at the time were nine and seven the last time we played it but one of them is now ten. so this says the tournament
1: concept is based on capture the flag
0: yeah eh, kind of
1: okay I guess not
0: <laughs> so there is a flag and you alternate really the flag is like an initiative token okay whoever has the flag has initiative and that just means that they play their cards. And then once they play their cards, they are the player to be beaten. And then the other player plays until they beat them and they get the flag. So it really just tracks, I guess, basically who's on defense. It doesn't sure. have anything that I would really call capture the flag in any sense that resembles actual capture the flag. Sure. But it definitely, a lot of people say that the battle almost feels like you're playing a game of war or something that flip a card over from your deck sort of card game. It's a little bit more than that because some of the card abilities give you choices and some options to do. But it's definitely not the battles themselves. The meat is how you build your combos in your deck between the rounds. It it played well uh, down to a seven-year-old. We all had fun. In fact, our nine-year-old is who won it. (laughs)
3: Yeah, it was I think the first time we played something that had a lot of changes within the game and to see that they did well, like having to move and play a different opponent and you're having to remember the cards you're already building your deck in. So it had a lot of changes, especially for our seven year old and to see that she really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, each time you win a round, you rack up points. And the points are useful only for getting you to the final game. So I was just racking up tons of points throughout the whole thing. And I came in after the um, the pool play, basically, with tons of points. And then our oldest kid, she had the second most points. But there's a wide gap. But as soon as you get to the finals, it doesn't matter how many points you got. So you throw all those away. And then just whoever wins the last game is the actual winner.
4: And she smoked
0: you. And she won that one. Well, <laughs> oh, good for her. Cool. Yeah,
4: I like it.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. Janelle, have you uh, more pizza?
3: Yeah, I've just been, I guess, letting the kids control my gaming experience lately. But Heather, actually, our oldest, who was, you know, has been bringing all these games. They had a career day at school. No, is that what they called it?
0: they did not call it career day it and it i career. only remember that because it seemed so strange that they wouldn't call it career yeah. day and say they call it dress like what you want to be when you grow up day
3: yeah
0: <laughs> which just rolls <laughs> off the tongue
3: yeah <laughs> so, lovely yeah, so anyways nice. she yeah. went as a game designer
0: nice i like it and this
3: was right after Tantrum Con, you know so she took a game that she just made okay so i've played some of her games and i don't know she's she's really owning just trying to come up with some kind of interaction with people. Uh And so it's really neat. And it's made me see the interaction that she likes in games, but also that she might be paying attention to our interaction and seeing what other people have fun with. Like when she brought me Bonanza, when we played, she taught it to our seven year old and our seven year old is interesting. If it's a game about collecting, She's going to make up her own definition. (laughs) And so in Bonanza, you could tell she was like, I really like the name of this bean. And she just wanted to keep saying the name of this bean. So she would just say, does anybody have any? I don't. Let's see. You don't remember
0: what bean it was? What
3: was the bean she was so excited about? But she'll just create her own thing. It doesn't matter. She's probably not going to win with that strategy, but she is loving it. Yep. And Heather will t- kind of put delightful little things in her game. Like remember her rates for the castle game uh-huh. she made. There were some things. The game wasn't fun, <laughs> <No>. but <laughs> she would put some things that she knew would make Maple giggle. Yeah, like, like some you, of the things. If you do, that do this odd. thing,
0: then you have to make a chicken noise. Yeah, like, and just Maple things like would that. just
3: be like, "Ah, oh, I landed like, on the chicken." There is room noise. for those games. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is room.
0: Yeah, those are the parts that were fun.
3: <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. yes. But uh, sure. anyways, yeah, I've just been playing Screaming Kids and pizza games. And, bonanza. <laughs> and bonanza. And Bonanza.
4: Hey, Cat Lady. Fun,
3: Cat Lady, yeah. But my daughter loves to just random do things in finger guns at high noon, and she knows I get stressed, and I don't point my gun right, and she picks on my guns. <laughs> like, they're pointing because they look defected, I guess, because I just don't do it right.
0: Yeah, because so. in Finger Guns at High Noon, you, you literally are making finger guns and shooting them at people. And yeah. the yeah. things that you do with your hand have a certain in-game meaning. So if you do something <laughs> in an ambiguous way, then it's difficult to interpret your in-game intent. And that's Put your why...
3: whole hand at somebody, and they're just yeah. like, I don't I don't know what that means. But Yeah, like, what is it? Is it called the power shot?
0: Yeah, my Power power Shot.
3: shot. I never put my thumb up until they pick on me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm always just like this. Like maybe I'm pleading the fifth or something. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, I'm just kid-driven games right now.
1: (laughs) Nitro, what's your last game?
3: So
2: we had a snow day, and our kids used this as an opportunity to pull out a bunch of games that they thought they might be ready to move on from. So we had a whole day where kids just kept coming up to me, and they're like hey, can we play this one one more time and decide if we're actually ready to get rid of it or not? And so I played a whole bunch of those, which was actually pretty fun, even though pretty much all of them, the kids were like, yep, I'm good. This game can go. (laughs) One and done games. A lot of them are games that we've been hanging on to since the kids were significantly younger. And they're feeling like they've kind of outgrown them. Things like Ghost Fight and Treasure Hunters, which I really enjoy, but the difference between the easy mode And the hard mode is huge. Easy mode is not that interesting anymore. Hard mode is still really hard. And so the kid who picked that one out is like, I don't like this anymore. I'm not interested in this game anymore. (laughs) Listeners to last week's show will be interested to know that our children agreed that it was time to move on from Heist. Heist is a talking game where you have to listen and pass things around the circle and push buttons at certain times. Um, It's one of those, it gets kind of stressful, like the timer gets faster and faster, but you have to keep listening the whole time to the instructions. We've really enjoyed it, but yeah, I think they're just, we have hit our peak of how well we can do. We can't do it perfectly, and (laughs) I'm not interested in the effort required to be able to do it perfectly, so we're done. Wanna doubt, give up. <laughs> to be fair for that one, we, we tried a bunch of times and then yeah. the kids yeah. involved were like, no, you know what? I remember why we were saying we were ready to move on from this game. <laughs>
0: okay. Fair enough. So fair enough. That's okay. I think it's really satisfying to get rid of games that you no longer need. We do that all the time because mm-hmm. I yeah. have the habit of buying way too many games. <laughs> and then we we also like sometimes acquire games through stuff like conventions uh, and raffles and whatever even now like we just recently offloaded like maybe 15 games and i know sitting there up on the shelf i can think of three that we may never play
2: (laughs) well and andrew and i talk about this a lot but it was nice to see our kids i mean we goaded them into it a little bit but it was nice to see our kids go through the process of picking a few out and doing kind of that i'm going to play it one more time and that's enough to remind me yeah i really am okay with moving on from this game and that can be rewarding too, especially when
1: they pick a big box game. I'm just oh like, man, Chicken yes! Cha
2: Cha Cha is leaving, <laughs> and <laughs> the box for that is huge.
0: Yeah, it's a great game though.
2: It's a great memory game. Yeah.
0: Do you ever like take some games and you put them in a shelf in a closet where you can't see, and then like over the next few months, see if you ever even think about it? And you don't think about it, and you're like, oh, well, clearly, clearly I didn't care about this one. It's been in the closet for a year, and I didn't even remember that it was in the closet.
1: Oh, Mark, if you knew how many games we have. <laughs> <laughs> the problem for us is that we have review obligations. So uh, we see a game, we play a game, we like the game, we buy the game, and then we never have time to play the game because we have other games we have Because we're
2: to playing play. the games that we, we yeah. have obligations So to. we
1: have, I don't even want to count. Never mind.
2: Uh, <laughs> we're we're down to four cubes of opportunity. Five.
1: We're, we're at five.
0: I guess that's where they say never make your hobby your job. Right. But, I mean, totally. Obviously, I don't listen to that either.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, someday, someday. Well, it it turns out that being
2: a podcaster and board game reviewer uh, as a hobby has now given me all kinds of other hobbies like uh, video editing, which I never pictured being my hobby before.
1: Yeah, the the question is really, is your hobby playing board games or talking about playing board games?
0: Hmm.
2: I mean, my real hobby is playing board games. Talking about board games
0: feels different. I don't even know if I have hobbies anymore.
1: (laughs) I understand that. No, I get it. I really do. I really do. All right. I will close us out with uh, another game that I played. I played a solo game of a game called Bonsai. This is a game coming out from DV Games. It's not releasing until Gen Con, uh, but we we were able to snag an advance copy, which I'm very excited about. Bonsai is this really cool game where it reminds me of... Something kind of like century, I guess, because you have a row of cards that you kind of draft from. But those cards that you draft either allow you to pick up these hexagon tiles, which are wood or leaves or flowers or fruit, or to place some hexagon tiles into your bonsai tree. And there's... Kind of some placement restrictions. Really, there's only a little bit of placement restrictions, but you literally have just, like, the root of your bonsai tree to start. And so you have to play a bunch of wooden tiles to kind of create parts of your tree, and then you play the green around the wood, and then you put the flowers and the fruit around that. And so – there's all sorts of different scoring conditions depending on the cards that you draft. There's some like base level scoring conditions. Like you get one point for every wood tile and three points for every leaf tile. Like some, you know, there's, there's basic stuff, but then there's always going to be cards that you can draft that'll be like, get an extra two victory points for every three fruit or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's a relatively simple game, but because it's so freeform, you're not allowed to rearrange your bonsai tree. But there's nothing that's saying you absolutely have to do it in this direction or that direction. You just kind of have some placement restrictions as you go along. And so what you end up with really does kind of look like a bonsai tree, sort of, because you're going to be bending your wood in order to get it to fit around certain things. And it just kind of works out. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. I found it was a very peaceful experience. Like, Anitra, you talk a lot about that raindrop game or whatever what is that game called a perfect moment or something like that what oh a uh, gentle rain a gentle rain yeah you talk a lot about that game and how you're playing these tiles just into a grid up and trying to get flower to match yeah. i felt that way with bonsai but it was definitely a little bit more strategic like i have said this before when we went to disney in 2018 so if you've ever gone to disney as a family it's not a stress-free experience it's just not <laughs> right? Because you're 11 billion people there. And if your children are going to run off to hug Mickey mouse, there's 75 Mickey mice. So you could lose your child. So it's not a stress-free experience, but it's way less stressful than like normal life.
2: Yeah. It's way less stressful than like going and being tourists in say New York city.
1: Yeah. So like I realized when we were walking around Disney that that low level of stress, like that baseline stress, That is when I am at my most comfortable. The idea of laying on a beach and worrying about absolutely nothing is horrifying to me, (laughs) but like just a like a very low level of easily manageable stress. Like the answer is just hold your child's hand and the stress goes away. Like that level of stress is perfect for me. So I think that's why a gentle rain just did not work for me because it was just like too chill, but this works for me because it's got just enough strategy in it while being something that's chill. Does that make sense? Am I making any sense?
0: I understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I hear the words coming out. I here, mean, it makes but,
2: sense to me, but we've been married for almost 20 years. Yeah, so. <laughs> like I guess what I'm saying is like the idea of
1: a game that is like totally, totally chill is not appealing uh. to me. But this where it's like kind of chill with a little bit of strategy mixed in, like that might be my sweet spot. So I really like this game. It's not complicated. If you're looking for something complex, this is not the game for you. It's very simple. You could totally play this with kids, but if you want to kind of really game it and like really tighten down it and really maximize your points, I could see where there could be a little bit more strategy there. Like you might be hate drafting because you can see what other people are doing. Stuff like, mm. like there's a lot of that kind of stuff that you could be doing, but I found it to be very relaxing, especially as a solo game. Like I could literally see this is a game that I only ever play solo, but you know, whatever.
2: That's a rare thing for you. So I, know I, can, I don't play I can appreciate games, that. So.
1: It's also gorgeous. Like the box art for this game is ridiculous. Really I mean, pretty.
2: I would hope with something where you're making a bonsai tree that you do end up with something that feels really attractive and genuine at the end.
1: Yeah, I I like I really because so so this is one of those games where in the back they have like some facts and like random facts about different kinds of bonsai trees and stuff like that. But like I could really appreciate the idea of just like every couple of days you kind of go over and you clip a little bit off your little tree. Like I kind of connected with that idea. I don't know. It's weird. Sure. But um, anyway, so that was bonsai from DV games. I'm looking forward to playing that some more. Obviously, we'll release a review for that probably around the time it comes out.
2: All right, cool. Yeah. Well, I think that is enough talking about those specific games for right now. We also played a fair bit of Ecosystem Coral Reef, but that is going to be our break. So we will leave you all with our review for Ecosystem Coral Reef, and then we'll be right back. All
1: right. We'll be right back. Coral reefs are beautiful, like you. But did you know that they're actually animals, not plants? They eat plankton and other microscopic bits of stuff. Coral reefs also shelter larger fish and other sea creatures.
2: Thanks to one of our favorite educational game companies, we have another way to explore the complex relationships between these tropical sea creatures. It's a card game!
1: This is a snap review for Ecosystem Coral Reef.
2: Ecosystem Coral Reef is a card game for up to six players, designed by Matt Simpson and adapted by Steve Schlepphorst, and it's published by Genius Games.
1: Takes 15 to 20 minutes to play, and it's best for ages 8 plus since there's a little bit of reading involved and players need to keep their cards secret.
2: Let's talk about the art. The box cover is a pretty good hint to what's inside this game. Every animal in the game is represented except maybe the whale and the plankton.
1: The illustrations by Mesa Schumacher are lifelike and interesting. Except the plankton.
2: I don't think you can make plankton look yeah, interesting. I, don't,
1: I don't think so. <laughs> All 11 designs are perfectly clear, and you'll never be mistaking one type for another during play. So, let's talk about how to play. Sure. So, Ecosystem Coral Reef is a sequel to 2019's Ecosystem, which is a card drafting and placement game. A game is two rounds. At the beginning of each round, every player gets ten cards. Every player will choose a card from their hand simultaneously, then put it into their own grid adjacent to at least one other card. When everyone has placed, they pass their remaining cards clockwise in the first round and then counterclockwise in the second round. We've seen this before.
2: At the end of the game, you'll have 20 cards in a 4x5 grid, and it'll be time to score.
1: Hope you place those cards in a way that works for you. Each of the 11 card types scores in a different way. Coral only scores if it's on the bottom row. Clownfish want to be adjacent to plankton and coral, and whales score for every krill card in the entire ecosystem. Most of the cards also fit into a food web category, either producer or prey or predator. Players score each group separately, then they take the lowest of those three scores and add it again as a food web bonus, showing how all of these creatures live in balance. So I was really excited when I saw the first Ecosystem game. Like many Genius games, it takes a scientific concept and it, marries it with game mechanics to create something that's both educational and truly
2: fun to play. What? I know, right? It reminded me of What in the Wild, which is another game we've reviewed, but this one has fewer species represented, which should make the choices easier.
1: On the other hand, we have played some drafting games from Genius that weren't great, so we were hoping that Ecosystem would be better.
2: Our big concern was not only would it be fun, but would that fun be married in the gameplay with something that teaches?
1: Something meaningful, specifically. Yeah. So, Anitra, let's talk about what surprised us about Ecosystem.
2: Well, I'm going to start with a negative. The cards are really small. I know they did this to make it possible to build a 4x5 grid without taking over the table, which is great, but there are 130 cards. This is only about 60 of them. That makes it very hard to shuffle. We found out just how much of a problem that can be in our first game, where Coral, you know, in the name of the game, never showed up at all. It's also hard
1: to remember how the various cards score. Everyone gets a player aid, which is actually very helpful with this, but I do wish there was some kind of symbology on the cards themselves beyond
2: just the predator, prey, and producer symbols. But now some positives! Card drafting games like this don't usually work well at fewer than three players. But the rules for Ecosystem Coral Reef include adaptations for two players and for solo. And both of them work quite well. Two-player
1: drafting uses a third hand of cards for, like, a neutral player who is included in the drafting rotation and randomly discards one card each turn. In some games this might not work, but in Ecosystem, it was perfect. Each player passes to the neutral player for half the game, and you never really know exactly which cards you're going to get a chance to see again. I'm also not really shy about how much I don't like automatas, but this one is very simple and it provides a buffer between the players that just works super well.
2: Solo mode ditches the drafting entirely, which is great. It focuses instead on building the grid. You're going to build two grids simultaneously, one for yourself and one for Mocha, (laughs) a fake player with... Set rules for adding to their grid. Your goal is to beat Mocha by a wide margin, like at least 50 points, and better if you can do it by like 70 points.
1: This is another thing I really liked. In the solo game, you're almost playing two games at the same time, one of them to score well, and one of them to score poorly. So, Nitra, do we recommend Ecosystem Coral Reef?
2: The box here suggests that Ecosystem Coral Reef is for ages 8 and up. I'd say that's about right, because in theory, reading isn't required to play, but there's a lot of scoring conditions that you need to keep straight.
1: I think the game is really good for reinforcing marine biology and the concept of the food web. And you'll have fun while you're playing it. <laughs> I recommend this game for parents and teachers ready to play along with kids. If you're working through a module like this in your science class, or your kids are in their science class, it's a good one to break out. Plus, it's small and relatively inexpensive. Hey! So we need your- what are we going to rate Ecosystem Coral Reef?
2: I think we're going to rate it three and a half fish out of five.
1: And that's Ecosystem Coral Reef in and a, a Snap.
2: snap. We are here with Mark and Janelle McGee of How to Steam Broccoli.
1: All right, I've been literally waiting for it's been how long has it been since Tantrum Con? Like three weeks, four weeks? I don't even know, but I've been waiting to talk about how to steam broccoli or how to cook broccoli since Tantrum Con because <laughs> Janelle and I started to talk about this and realized that if you were going to come on the show, we should we should save this conversation for the show. So, so I'm going to
2: say that my preference is to roast broccoli.
1: Roast broccoli rules, but I think Janelle, I think you have the floor.
3: There's so many ways you could take this. (laughs) Now I just want to talk about roasting broccoli. I love to grill it too. Do you do that? Or do you just roast it in the oven?
2: I usually just roast it in the oven. A little Um, bit of
1: salt and some oil, like olive oil on it.
2: It's funny because lately I've been making a couple of recipes that call for like steamed broccoli and I'm like, why would I steam it? I will just roast it in the oven and then use it in the recipe. (laughs) Yeah. Because I like the little charred bits and the little Mm. caramelization that you get when you do that.
3: Yeah, it is delightful. So steam and broccoli is an interesting thing. I love to do it. And there's so many things you can just, you know, sprinkle on there when it's done. But back to real life, it's hard to do when you have kids because you have to watch and not oversteam it. Yes. Or it's going to be a soggy mess. Mm -hmm. And the zone to try to figure that out, we realized Everybody cooks different, of course, but there's still a right way to not go too far or undercook steamed broccoli. And my method is the color. Just watch for that pop of green. Yeah, when you're looking at it. Yep. But I have to look at it to find that zone. Yes. <laughs> if somebody's yes. fighting,
2: <laughs> and we're laughing because we're and like, I- <laughs> well, yes, that means you have to look at it. But also as yeah. a parent with crazy chaotic things going around I know that sometimes just like a oh no it's been so long I haven't looked at and it. it
3: and you look at it and you're like nope that's the wrong grain did that hit <laughs> that is, the is the too night. much
2: it is now this yes. sickly yellow I, I just have color. this like
1: picture in my head of like somebody from a, a different culture or like an alien comes in and it's like what is wrong with this lady who is staring at this small tree yeah. like <laughs>
3: looking at it and like trying to ignore my kids to get it right. But that's because that's my preferred method on how to steam broccoli. I look for that color. We even went to the hardware store one time and looked at all the greens (laughs) and like found the name of like, that's the green. And
1: it wasn't, it wasn't properly steamed broccoli. And
3: it wasn't called how to steam broccoli. It was (laughs) definitely a miss on their part of naming it. But Mark doesn't use the color. He uses time to steam broccoli.
0: There's a process of steaming. And the process, as long as you do it consistently, (laughs) then it should take a consistent amount of time. So as long as you, you set it up the same way every time, set it to the right temperature with the right quantities of everything, then you know when it will be done. And then you don't have to think about it. You just know... When it's been this much time, it's done. But that that does require you figuring out how much time that takes. I remember actually talking about following instructions and time. The first time that I tried to make a pecan pie, I just follow the directions precisely. I did not make a mistake. Uh-oh. And that thing came out there oven black. And it was terrible. <laughs>
1: I loved it. Loved, I did not make a mistake.
4: It came out I, black.
0: <laughs> yeah. I followed every single direction exactly as written. So there is a flaw in the recipe. But since then, I've figured out how to change the recipe into a correct recipe and make pie. But like once you get it figured out, you can do it consistently and steam broccoli in the correct amount of time. I myself don't do a lot of steaming. So I don't know how much time it takes to steam broccoli. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm the cook. And so he wants me to translate it to time. And I'm like, no, just look for the color. That's not the right color yet. And so steam and broccoli, we realized that's where we're lost in translation is between how he cooks versus how yeah, I
0: cook. I'll come in. Uh, you get some eggs boiling. And I'm like, how long have these eggs been on there? Because I know that <laughs> eggs, you put eggs in the water, you turn it up on high. And then 11 minutes after the water starts bubbling, they're done. And so right. I say, how long has this been in there? You're like, I don't know. Well, how long has it been bubbling? Well, I don't know. But I have no idea if it's done.
1: This is such an amazing object lesson of like <laughs> opposites attract the engineer and the artist just yeah. interpreting the world in different ways. I mean, it, this is such a, a wonderfully classic picture because neither one of you is right or wrong yeah. about this. I love this so much. This is just fascinating (laughs)
3: because he could cook his method and i could cook my method and we're still trying to do the same goal and you might both get a black pecan pie might both get a
4: black pecan pie
3: (laughs) and we would have two black pecan pies that we would be regretfully eating and next time try to do something different but um yeah but some people use texture to cook
0: they just stab it with the fork and when it goes in with the right resistance then they know
1: Yeah,
2: I don't do that with broccoli, but I do, in fact, do that with potatoes.
1: Bread is a, is a good one or anything you bake. Like, I mean, baking is a, is another weird, I don't know, voodoo chemistry thing.
2: Baking is a science, yeah. man. And it is not a science that I am good at. No, um, not really. I'm not terrible. The food I bake is edible and even tastes good. But it's not like top quality, like, wow, this is amazing. It's just like, OK, I took good stuff and I made a good edible thing out of it. <laughs>
0: Yeah. The potatoes, like you mentioned, like that's something that is, well, if you cook a whole potato and you want like a baked potato, you got to stick a fork in there because potatoes, you never know how big they are.
2: Well, it's true even with boiling them for like mashed potatoes or something because it's so dependent on the size of the potato pieces. So you can set a timer, but you still need to poke them with a fork to see if they're. Here's a trick that
0: I use that lets me use a timer. If you cut those things in slices and they're about a quarter inch thick, Then you can put it in the oven for like 45 minutes. And I wrote down what the temperature is. I don't know what it is. Maybe probably like 375. Everything's at 375. (laughs) And then uh, for 45 minutes. And if they're about a quarter inch thick, they'll be done. So it doesn't matter how big the potato is if you cut it up. Fair enough. But yeah, you got to go through that extra step to avoid having to stick it with a fork.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, I have a real question though. Um, Can you eat potatoes in space? Yeah, I think you can. Why not? All right. So you if you didn't want to lose if you were eating a baked potato in space and maybe if you didn't want to lose it you might tie something to it. Yes. Know, so you could hold on to it. There's actually a scientific name for something that you that you tie to something that you don't want to lose.
2: This is the yeah. worst segue ever. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Come on. <laughs>
1: I'm working the system right now. I mean,
2: We've had enough of, you know, (laughs) cooking with the Smiths and the McGee's. Let's talk about some board. Which is
1: fascinating. And I think it's a really fun conversation. And like I said before, I knew we had to table it because I knew it would be great show fodder. (laughs) But we actually are not here to talk about cooking.
2: No, we're not. (laughs) We're here to talk about the game Tether and, you know, some other things that you've worked on. Yes. Uh, How about
1: this transition? So how did different approaches for cooking result in the name of a publishing company?
0: <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> and I, I don't really like it. That was my response to your question because I hear people say, that's uh, what a great question. that I feel like that always comes off. Well, I feel very
1: victorious when someone says, oh, that's a good question because yeah. I feel like I've done something right.
2: I mean, but with a name like How to Steam Broccoli, you you have to have a story of like... Yeah, like
1: I feel like it deserves its own elevator pitch.
0: Right. So let me tell you about How to Steam Broccoli. It's multifaceted. And I'll tell you several goals that were in mind when selecting a name for the company. One of the goals was it was a name that once you've heard it, when you hear it a second time, you're like, oh yeah, I've heard of that before. It's not going to be something that you've heard a second time. You're like, is that the thing that I remember? Or is that not the thing? So it needed to have its own uniqueness about it, and kind of be a little bit strange and somewhat catchy enough that when you heard it the second time, you remembered it. I also did not want an adjective animal come <laughs> <named> company.
2: What? <laughs>
4: oh my gosh! Uh, that was actually a lot of those.
0: I should have said that first because I think that was <laughs> the first thing. Some of the things like I wanted to, rather than being a noun. How about like a verb phrase? Like, that's pretty unusual. So all those things, plus to have some sort of meaning that could be tied into kind of the vision of the company. So the meaning, and it's not that abstract once I explain it, I don't think. Like Janelle had said, when you're steaming broccoli, if you do it too much, too long, then it's no good. But if you don't steam it at all, then you're also not getting it to where you want it to be. So that, that steaming broccoli is kind of an analogy for like, we want our games to have the appropriate amount of stuff, content and development that they are excellent, but not overwrought and not like too much. So I like playing what I consider strategy games that engage your brain, but I can't sit down and play like a 90 minute game all the time. Like maybe every fourth Friday night, maybe I could. <laughs> um, but given time constraints or whatever, I might be able to play half an hour, 45 minutes or something. So having a game that can fill that need for like a mind engaging experience in less than an hour, that's the sort of pocket that we're going for with everything. And Tether is Tether's less than half an hour, but we wanted to have kind of fit in that area where it's definitely like a, a game that uses your brain, but it's not going to be overdone and have so much stuff that it takes a dedicated night to even pull it out. You know?
1: I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, And yes, the game we were talking about is the game tether. So tether is a game that makes use of something really interesting called a mirror deck. And I, you know, the more I think about this, I saw something today that makes me think that this mirror deck thing might become like one of the next like hotness mechanics where people will come up with kind of clever ways to use the mirror deck idea for Mm. all sorts of different stuff. Talk about what a mirror deck is because yeah. like scout kind of has a mirror deck, kind of a thing to it, sort of. It's a little different, but it's similar.
0: Right. So the, the idea behind a mirror deck is each card has a two digit number in the top corner. And in this example, zero nine is the two digits for the number nine. But on the opposite end of that corner, when you flip it over, it's the same two digits but they're swapped as if they, when you look at yourself in a mirror, you see everything, but it's actually opposite of, of what it is in real life. So um, the two numbers in the opposite corners are the same two digits, just in different places. So, you know, the 81 and 18 are in opposite corners of the same card. And this mirror deck idea was actually presented to me by um, Daniel Solis is a guy that I know, he's, he's one of the members of the Game Designers of North Carolina, too, yep. where you know I'm in that group. We know each other, we go to meetings, we hang out, whatever. Actually, Daniel and I have designed a game together in the past. And so he had he was playing with this idea of a mirror deck. And from that is where the, the roots of Tether were born. So it's definitely inspired by his mirror deck idea. And then we kind of took it from there and put the game framework around it.
1: So do you want to talk a little bit about how the game actually works, like what you're trying to do?
0: Yeah, so in the game, as you uh, play cards to the table, you're sitting across from your opponent. So it's either a one versus one game or a two versus two team game. And when you put a card down, because of the features of a mirror deck, each side of the table sees a different number. And what you do with these numbers is that is how that is what you use to tether the astronauts together. And it's just in consecutive numerical order like the 95 can connect to the 94 and the 96 and so on. And the trick that makes it work really well is that one player is connecting astronauts together horizontally and the player on the other side of the table from them is connecting them together vertically. So while we both see the same card, we see different numbers on the same card and we're connecting along different axes, uh, which does a couple of things. One, it allows us to work together to build the same group while also working in different directions so that we can have different ways to measure our progress the horizontal player wants the groups to be wider while the vertical player wants the groups to be taller but it also the thing that i think is even more interesting about it is if i'm the vertical player and i play you know a string of cards that goes up vertically across the table each one of those presents a different opportunity for my opponent to play a number horizontally connected to it so everything that i do does make the group taller, which I like, but it also creates more opportunities for my opponent to play off of it to potentially uh, work in their favor. but then everything that they do could create opportunities for me to build off of that. So there's this um, you know mutual benefit to everything that everybody does, even though we are definitely competing and we have we have different objectives hmm. in the game.
2: That's really cool. Janelle, what do you like or love, I would hope, about this game, Tether?
3: Well, since we have uh, a lot of pizza and screaming kids going on, it (laughs) really fits really well for us to play a game that's really fun, but has a lot of thinking in it. But we could play it multiple times in an evening, or like if we only have like a pocket of time or something. I, I know one time we were playing and I was like, let's just keep playing until I beat you because obviously he's really good at the game. I don't know how many times we played until I win, and that's not important. It was but. like
0: once, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I was just to you haven't slept
1: for three years. <laughs> right, yeah.
3: Three years later, and then I won. Yeah. It has a whole lot that you don't see, because the e- the rules are, seem really simple when you're explaining it. Connect the numbers together, vertical or horizontal, depending on what player you are. But as you're playing it, you're just wrapped up in this neat give and take. And it's just really fun to see if you can, well, in my case, beat the designer, which just tickles my fancy when I can. So I really like it as much as it is in a small game and you can play it over and over like, oh, everything's going good. Let's run it back it's one of those ones you can just run it back sure sure
0: and like that that description that i gave is really like it's like 90 percent of all the rules of the game <laughs> like you talked about it being like you know pretty quick to teach like the only other rules are like how exactly your turn is structured and and where the cards come from but really the idea about consecutive numbers horizontally or consecutive numbers vertically like if you if you get that that's the part of the game like The rest is, yeah, how you draw cards. So one
1: of the things that I noticed when we played was that there's a really compelling desire to connect different pods of astronauts together. You're very much kind of driven to try to figure out a way to do that, even though... Like, you might need cards that you don't have access to, or you may be waiting for a card to come up and then realize it's in your opponent's column or row or something because they saw it mm-hmm. differently or things like that. But that part of the puzzle, I think that's something that uh, really appeals to kids because it's so obvious, right? Like, I have a 17, I need an 18, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. very simple, but the puzzle to figure out how to get that to actually work is mm-hmm. so
0: difficult
1: different. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and I think that's a really, really neat thing about this game, and I think that's one of the things that Elliot was really, really excited about when he played. It was, okay, so you've got these kind of five astronauts over on the side, which are like the face-up draw the area, draft area, or whatever it is. Yeah. And he was always like, okay, well, these three, I need something to get this one to come over. He actually beat me when we played, and it wasn't because I was trying to lose. So... <laughs> I think that is really cool. And it's kind of neat how geometrically it just works out when you connect the stuff together because of the way that all the cards connect. So,
4: Mm -hmm.
3: yeah, it when you first said having all these goals in mind, sometimes I just like having random goals like, you know, the the art on it is amazing. Shout out to Eric who did the art. But, like, the trench coat boys in it, sometimes I just, like, these kids need to be tethered to an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Match these up. (laughs) Job well done. We're good.
1: (laughs) So let's talk about the art, because the art in this game is, you're right, it's incredible. It's really, really cool. It is so detailed, and yet it's like, you ever, like, look at a painting or something that has tons of complexity to it, but you can take it in as something that's fairly simple, but the more you look at it, the more things you see. Like, I feel that way about the art in this game.
0: It's very interesting that you said that because when we did the art brief at the very beginning, when we met with Eric, Eric Hibbler is the illustrator. And yeah, he's incredibly good. And during that art brief, uh, it was me and Kevin Yudi, who's another part of the How to Steam Broccoli, And we were talking with him. And that was one of the things we wanted to make sure to bring in there. Like, there are details in there that either pose questions like what is this person doing like why are they here what does this badge mean on them you know what are they this thing they have in their hand tell me it it suggests a story about the character or like it poses some sort of questions that make you curious to like fish around for more details and we wanted that in there partly because it's just delightful to look at it and see these little details it's like oh I can't believe that they put that picture in there because that is just so cute. And the fact <laughs> that I can see it, if, you, if you're if you not looking at it, there's a lot of stuff you might miss. But when you take a second to look at it, we want it to be rewarding for the people who enjoy just picking up a card and saying, what is she really doing in here? And they're like, "Ah, oh, well, that's interesting. Sure. We wanted that yeah. to happen with basically every card. I think that it might.
3: That's so- really
1: cool. So you mentioned the trench coat boys. I guess I didn't realize there's like factions, or I I don't know. Can you <laughs> kind of explain? <laughs>
3: yeah, I ha- have nicknames for a lot of them.
0: The demo version of the game, the pre-release prototype that you saw at TantrumCon, it had um, five character archetypes, basically. Like, um, there's kids in a trench coat is one, but each of those character types has five different variations. So there's five sets of trench coat kids there's five ladies sitting on a telephone in outer space um, but they they it's not just like it's the same picture you just change the color of their pants there's a decent number of variation within the thing like it's a different face different hair you know the outfits are different they might be interacting with the different props or something in the show they might just through some of the context around how it's framed
3: mm-hmm.
0: they definitely feel like different characters even though they they are of the same character type, basically. Sure. So five different character types, but five different variations of each was in the the prototype copy that you had seen. But there's 53 cards in the deck, so there were duplicates in there. The final version is going to add six more character types, each of which would have five variations, which is actually 55 unique characters. And there's 53 cards, unless we throw in something (laughs) else just to... Just to use the extra characters with. so
3: And they each do kind of have their own. I know for me, they have like their own backstory for the kids. What kid doesn't want to go to space? And these two trench coat kids disguised themselves, made it to space, way to go. Mm-hmm. But they still should be tethered to an adult, is how I <laughs> feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's
2: definitely a like,
3: <laughs> what do we do now kind of yeah, look like, about that? Oh, wanted to go to space.
1: But yeah, because in space nobody can hear you scream, and also there's no pizza. Right. There's no pizza.
3: <laughs> yes, they gotta yeah. hook up with the maybe the bus driver and get yeah. some pizza.
1: So let's see when this podcast comes out, Tether will have one day left. So if you are not listening to this right away, uh, sorry uh, <laughs> are, are you are you taking late pledges?
0: Yeah, so the, the Kickstarter ends, I think it's going to end at like 7 a.m. on Tuesday, the March the 21st, in the year 2023. <laughs> and I like your faith we, that people will be listening to this in a year. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Once it's, it's on the internet, mind. it's around forever. Yeah. Uh, you can't delete the internet, or at least I haven't figured out how to yet we will have a way to do late pledges. I haven't gotten all that set up yet because we need to transition the backers from Kickstarter onto the late pledge platform. So there will be a gap, but the way to figure out it will be if you go to our website, which is surprisingly how to steam Everything. I don't say everything that, uh, that we know that we would like for anyone else to know. It will be on there. So right now, if you go there, it, it okay. has a little blurb and links to the Kickstarter page, but it will, when we have the um, pledge manager, which will allow for late pledges, then we will have details about that on how to steam broccoli.com. All right. All right.
2: Um, one last thing before we talk about all the places to find you on the internet, anything besides the website. Andrew did not tell me, I did not realize going into this, that you are the Mark McGee behind Kintsugi with Daniel Solis.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I am. Look at that. We actually play that game a lot.
2: Uh,
3: Oh, really? I
2: really, really like it. Do you want to know why I didn't tell Anitra?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Please tell me more.
1: Because I didn't know.
2: (laughs) Either because you didn't know or because you hoped I would figure it out on my own. No,
1: no, I didn't. I don't why would i look you up on board game geek man i like, didn't even look him up
2: on board game geek it's right there on the how to steam broccoli website which is how i found out but mm. the,
1: the website is better than my
0: observation
2: but i will tell you that i am a big fan of kintsugi and it is on my top five button shy game
0: nice yeah that was my first published game ever and i guess I can't remember how long ago that was, but... Uh,
2: about four or five years ago now. four or five years ago, yeah.
0: That was a co-design with Daniel Solas, which is um, documented evidence that I know who he is.
4: <laughs> well, now that he's he a hotshot, I guess
0: you have to prove yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was my first ever published design. I have another game with Talent Strike Studios that was on Kickstarter. can't remember exactly how long ago. They There were some delays in production and freighting. Top Pop was my... Second published game. And then after that is when we started How to Steam Broccoli," And my third publicly available game is slash will be Tether. And then who knows? That? I mean, I have other games that I work on, some of which may or may not come from How to Steam Brackley, some of which may or may not come from other publishing companies, depending on if they're a better brand than How to Steam Brackley for specific titles. Sure, sure, sure.
1: Oh, and Top Pop was illustrated
0: by Christina Yeah,
2: I do remember seeing some stuff about Top Pop, but that was during COVID when everything seemed weird.
0: (laughs) It was one of the most difficult times to be a game publisher, I believe, because shipping and freight were at maybe an all-time high, and COVID had people not buying games that required people to be in the same place. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, early on, people bought a lot of games, and then it died off pretty quickly. So, yeah. But anyway, so I really like Kintsugi and I am knowing now that you are that Mark McGee. I am extra excited to see tether.
0: A lot of the <laughs> core tenets of what I go for in design is is present really in every design that I make. I guess I guess I wouldn't be <laughs> who I am if I did things differently than the way I do them. Sure. But I I do try to keep to some of the same ideas about like. Make sure that there are interesting ways to interact with other people and, you know, the game facilitates interesting headspace between people. And also, like, mm-hmm. it's nice to look at while it's on the table.
2: Sure. Sure.
1: All right. Well, gosh, this has been a lot of fun. Mark and Janelle, you already mentioned that website that I just can't seem to remember the name of. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh 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 how to steam uh where else yeah. can people go on the internet to find your stuff are you on social media
3: yeah um we're on twitter yeah at how to broccoli
0: yeah twitter has this limitation where you can't have a handle that's got too many characters it uh, yep. turns out that how to steam broccoli is too many characters so on twitter it's just how to broccoli <laughs> Which,
2: I love that as a, a shortened version. Yeah. How yeah, it do sounds, I broccoli? It sounds
1: very Neanderthal. How to broccoli.
3: How to broccoli. It's his way of cooking, it's the time <laughs> set yeah. one. But on um, a more fun side, is <laughs> how to steam broccoli has a Facebook page. Ooh. Okay. Where we put updates.
0: Joe manages the Facebook page because I don't know how to Facebook.
3: Because it's not called How to.
0: Yeah. Facebook.
3: <laughs> it's called but, How to Steam Broccoli. It's not right. how, how to use yeah. Facebook. And I have a tendency to want to post pictures of when I'm cooking something green or. Uh, sure, that makes sense. updates on the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's also good. Fun things like that or when I want to step into being telephone girl for just a moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Little fun things like that. So nice. right. fun awesome. or timed. How to broccoli.
0: And I bet if someone really did like a case study, they could look at how the the posts and the types of content on the Facebook page and just the way things are presented. And then compare that to how the the Twitter page goes. And that, because I do the Twitter stuff, and yeah, I bet you could tell a lot about our personalities but how, just by.
3: How they seem seen broccoli, yeah. which category it would be in.
1: Time yeah, I, Well, this gets back to that whole engineer artist thing, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I love it. All right. So whereas how- we're
2: both engineers, so we tend to yeah. uh, sign our yeah, we're Twitter posts when we think that it might get confusing. Yeah. There you go.
3: So go to the How to Broccoli.
1: <laughs> all right. So we've got How to Broccoli on Twitter. You can go to howtostreambroccoli.com or just search for How to Steam Broccoli on the Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, All right. Awesome. I need you. How do people find the family gamers?
2: Well... We would really like it if you went to TheFamilyGamers.com, where you can find basically everything. Links to all the social media, all 335 podcast episodes, all 500 and reviews. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But you can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at FamilyGamersAA.
1: You can also find us on YouTube at FamilyGamersAA. That's true. Head over to our Facebook page at FamilyGamersAA or our community at TheFamilyGamers.com forward slash community or just like you can search for How to Steam Broccoli on Facebook, you can search for The Family Gamers Community.
2: And we'll probably be talking some more about steaming broccoli and also (laughs) favorite board games uh, in (laughs) the community coming up soon. Probably, probably. You can also
1: always email us, Andrew at TheFamilyGamers.com.
2: Anitra at TheFamilyGamers.com. Check out our
1: Family Gamers and Play Games with Your Kids merchandise. We have t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and more stuff at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch.
2: If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends about it. Honestly, tell your friends about it, even if you don't like it, because they might. <laughs> uh, and if you did like us, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcast. It helps a ton. It really does. hmm
1: you can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or you can talk to your smart speaker and ask it to play the Family Gamers podcast. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points like gold.
2: By starting your financial engine.
1: With perfectly steamed broccoli. <laughs>
2: Uh, oh, Andrew broke Mark. Uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, listen. It, like when when you're at a restaurant and the waiter brings out your food or the waitress brings out your food, and the broccoli is that bright green, you're just yeah. like,
2: you know, I can't wait to right. eat that broccoli. Yes, right? Yes. Anyway, all right, all right. I think that's going to be it for us this week. So until next time, everybody. Play games with kids. kids.